1: Topically Yours on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. I'm your host, Deirdre Shuler, and today I'm going to be talking with a musical legend. One of the most forward-thinking and perform- performance groups in the 1970s was LaBelle. LaBelle consisted of Patti LaBelle, Nona Hendrix, and Sarah Dash. Well, we have Miss Dash who's consented to to talk with Topically Yours today, and we're happy to have her. And Sarah has performed with such greats as the Rolling Stones, Alice Cooper, the Marshall Tucker Band, Laura Nyro, the O.J.'s, Wilson Ticket, Bo Diddley, and many others. She has appeared on shows with hundreds of renowned recording artists, such as Keith Richards and Stevie Wonder. And she's also a founding member of Patti LaBelle and the Blue, Mel- Blue-, Blue Bells which actually morphed into La Belle in the 70s. Miss Dash has gone on in her own right, forging her own hits with dance music classics Sinner Man, Sinner Man, and Low Down Dirty Rhythm. In more recent times, Miss Dash will be performing three concerts in tribute to Aretha Franklin on Saturday, November 3rd at 8.30 p.m. at the Union Firehouse, located at 18 Washington Street in Mount Holly, New Jersey. And for those that want tickets, you can call 609-288-6491. And then on Monday, November 5th at 8 o'clock, she'll be at the City Winery in Washington, D.C., and that's located at 1350 Oakey Street Northeast in D.C. And for those tickets, you can call 202-250-2531. And lastly, on Tuesday, November 6th, she'll be performing in New York City at the City Winery, New York, located at 155 Barrick Street. And that'll be an 8 o'clock performance. And for tickets, you can call 212-608-0555. Well, I have Sarah Dash with me, and so why don't we read her. How are you, Ms. Dash?
2: I am fine. Good afternoon. I good am afternoon. good. Good
1: yeah, afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, um, it's wonderful, as I said, to have you on the show. You certainly are a, a show business icon. And your group uh, back in the 70s was an innovative group. In fact, you had some wonderful dynamic costumes that were flamboyant and almost space age. Whose idea was that to come up with those types of costumes?
2: We had a wonderful uh, designer by the name of Larry Legaspi and a jeweler by the name of Richard Urker. They they started watching us as we came back from London, and we started with the individual looks. uh, That was part of what we were aiming for as a group, You know, uh, one of the things that we discovered is that we all had harmony together, but within that harmony, there were three individuals, and we dressed as such. You know, we had Patty, who was really flamboyant, Nona, very, um, you know, I would say she's like bird-like, and then there was me, the woman, the girl, the girl-next-door type person, but with very exotic and sort of... Josephine Bakerish style. Richard Urker um, and Larry. Uh, I, what I'm really known for, I'll get into that. Is that the silver breastplate that I wore? They were actually, they are because I still have them. Sterling silver with. Mm. Uh, they laid me down and made a mold of my actual breast, and uh, Richard wow. sculpted that with the uh, sterling silver. Uh, being the jeweler, and part of the skirt that I wore uh, at back then was also sterling silver. Um, and they came up with, uh, we were so outlandish in our, the way we approached music. I wouldn't say outlandish, maybe there's a better word I can come up with later, but we had a different style of singing from most female groups we were right in your face with our harmonies and with our voices. We, You begin to realize there is three people there, but they all had some sound that they were contributing to the one part. And Richard and Larry said, you're like people from outer space. No one in the industry has ever heard such a thing. And we want, you know, heard such voices, I shouldn't say such a thing, such voices. And he began slowly with the piping, as they would call it, to give you that space look. And it it Mm -hmm. just went, by the time we got to the Metropolitan Opera House, they were just enormous pieces of work. And that's where it originated from.
1: Well, it certainly set the group apart. Now, did you start off at doing R&B and then later become, I guess, rockers? Well, How we would you classify were, your music? We
2: were R&B. Uh, as Patti LaBelle and Bluebells, we did have an R&B sound. However, and even at that time in our lives, we were doing classic songs like You Never Walk Along, Danny Boy, And and, uh, there were no female groups actually singing with those kind of tones and that type of music. Um, We had a DJ that absolutely loved us in New York. His name was Murray the K. He called himself the Fifth Beatle. Um, He had a radio show, and he started doing the Brooklyn Fox shows. Um, Yes, we were at the Apollo numerous times, and the Apollo adopted us as sweethearts of the Apollo because we had a... We were young but we had this sound that people in Harlem and whoever came to the Apollo from all over the world they just absolutely loved it. So you would say we had a R&B classic sound and um that's yeah I would say we came from that place.
1: Yes. Well tell me how you and Patty and and Nona came together.
2: We were um, two separate groups before we became Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells. Uh, Patty's group, along with Cindy Birdsong, was called the Ordettes. The group that Nona and I were in was called the Del Capris. We had the same manager. And ah, when we had uh, Patty's group was out of Philadelphia and Cindy Camden, which is right across the bridge, none and I from Trenton, New Jersey. So when the members of Patty's group no longer, they lost interest, and same with my group, um, they had no interest. Uh, when he suggested that we come together, we, you know, we discussed it and, um, we all agree to become one, and that's why we were from Trenton and Patty and Cindy, Philadelphia, Camden. We used to tease people, and they would say, well, how did Trenton and Philadelphia and Camden come together? And during that time, there was a New Jersey Turnpike, which had Howard Johnson ice cream. If you're old enough to remember that, we used to say, oh, we met at Howard Johnson's on the New Jersey Turnpike. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was quite a joke, but the true story is that we had uh they, we were two separate groups with the same manager, and that's how he we became one
1: now you you and nona were in the delpri and and Cindy and Patty were in in the
2: other group or debt it, or de you know or or debts yes,
0: <laughs>
2: yes. Patty and Cindy were in a group called the Ordetts out of Philadelphia. Um, I always smiled and laughed when we did shows together. We did have an opportunity to be on opposing sides as groups. And Patty and Cindy, their group always seemed to me so grown up. They had the real high heels, and they wore tiaras, and here comes the Delgado. And here comes the Del Capris, we were still in sweaters and pleated skirts with loafers, so to speak. And uh, we always admired their style, yet we weren't quite that mature in our style, um, a, a way of dressing. But when we came together, we all, you know, we were still unique when we came together because, again, there were no females singing in pant group, uh, pant suits. And we came out with the sailor outfits, Uh, if you see the very early pictures of us. We're in sailor suits. So we always had a unique and different style about us. And then we, uh, you know, um, some of the DJs were very upset uh, when they saw our group dressed like that. They disturbed them because they had never seen such a look with females. But we later started you know we that was our image. we called ourselves the bluebells, we got on blue bell bottoms, the suits were navy blue, and we thought we were reman- we were uh, actually dressing according to the name. We started out as, I'm oh, as we, started, we started out as the bluebells, but when we uh, appeared at the Apollo for the first time, we had to join the union. And the union told us that we could not have that name, the Bluebells, because there was already a group in the union with that name, although they did most of their touring in europe. so we um the record uh the record label owner, who was um Harold B. Robinson at the time, he um said, "You know, I'm going to give Patty." Could, uh, the name of Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells, and that's how we became Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells. That's where it originated uh, okay. from, due to a name change that had to be done if we were going to perform in all of these houses and clubs around the country.
1: So, well, I read you were so popular that James Brown was hesitant to follow you on stage. Yes, we but had that's, some. Moments that's quite a compliment. <laughs>
2: So we had a few moments with different artists. James Brown um, wanted us to tour with him because we had such a powerful sound. Whenever we appeared at the Apollo or any of the theaters around the country, such as the Howard, the Royal, um, you know, uh, the Rigo in Chicago, um, it was then called the Chitlin Circuit, but I now call it the Black Circuit, but... Um, We would always stop the shows with our ballads, which were, as I said earlier, you know, You Never Walk Alone, Danny Boy, you know, all these pretty things that we sang. And we actually exercised the gift of our harmonies. And folks were not used to hearing that, and it would just tear the place down. We would stop, as they called it, stop the show. Stop the show meant... The applause was so great and so you know so large that uh when the it the um whoever was hosting it it came out to call the next act on the people would not allow it, and we sometimes had to be called back to do another song or repeat the song that we sang, so we would stop the house and we stopped wow. the house. Uh, We were co-starring at one point at the Apollo with James Brown, and he put a comedian on in back of us. That didn't help. Uh, So they were trying to figure out how can we get him on the stage. Well, they decided to close the curtains, and the people still, I mean, it was still big. They were still screaming? Yeah, they were still screaming, and that's how James Brown was able to come on after us. But then they put us in the top of the show, which the people who followed us, you know, if we went on first. Of course you have a dynamic opening and a dynamic closing, but the people in back of us were really not happy with us. We didn't have a lot of friends mm-hmm. during that time.
1: Um, oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, how did, look, how did British television producer Vicky Wickham come into your life? well, we
2: had a song out called all or nothing on Atlantic records and it became a huge hit over in the UK and Vicki Wickham had just started uh, producing a show called ready, steady, go. She was one of the producers and also one of the co-writers for you don't have to say you love me by Dusty Springfield. And so with that, notoriety uh she became a producer for ready steady go and she invited us to come on the show they flew us from um philadelphia we actually left from new york to london and um again they had never we were the first black group ever to appear on european uk television that was before the supremes before the cherelle wow we And um, Vicki fell in love with our sound and what we were doing, and she became a friend. And Vicki, my dad always taught me to send thank you notes, which I'm behind in some of my correspondence right now. (laughs) But um, he always taught me to say thank you in a card form. And, And back then it was just about writing and sending notes to people, thank you. And any time we did a, you had a unique experience or had something such as uh, ready steady go," I wrote a note back to Vicky Wickham saying thank you you this has really done a lot for us and And she would write back, and she had us back, and we started communicating well, then we were losing our management and um the management had had gone sour on us, and I wrote to Vicki and I said, I um, I don't know what's going to happen with us because we're doing these places now. It seems like we're going in a downward spiral. So she said, Well, what are the dates you're doing? She wrote me back, and I said, Well, we're going to be at the Apollo. She said, uh, She said because maybe some of those dates you're doing, you don't need to do. And I'm like, Yeah, but we need the money. But she said. Cancel the rest of the dates. Do the Apollo. I we trusted her to take that step. She said because I'm bringing some people. I will bring some people to the Apollo to see you, and I am certain that they are going to sign you. And that was the whose management: Chris mm. Stamp and Chris uh, Lambert and Chris Stamp. I, I'm sorry, Kit Lambert and Chris Stamp. And sure enough, we were on a show with Smokey. We tried to tear that stage down because we knew there was a possibility of new management. Smokey didn't speak to us for a long time, but we
1: still love him.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah, is, so is, did obviously. Nightbird come out of that, your association with them and Lady Marmalade? Uh, no. Um, you know, th- th- th-
2: the um English can be very fickle and at the time they really Kit and Chris uh, loved us but they weren't sure what they could do with us and we um so Vicky said, you know, if you don't want to continue to work with them, I will step up. Vicky was the liaison between the two of us, management and 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 you know, working on what we were doing. So she took over the management and with that we got a female attorney, and she, we became a force of uh, five women working toward that, and we first went to Warner's, then we went to RCA, and as we were changing record labels, we were also building up a following as LaBelle and um, playing Town Hall, Carnegie Hall, all without a number one record, and by the time... Um, We had a wonderful promoter, Ron Delsner, who believed in us, and he kept promoting us because we kept filling up these houses in New York City. And um, by the time we got to the Metropolitan Epic Records that CBS had signed us, and we uh, recorded. We went to New Orleans and recorded with Alan Mm -hmm. Tusa. And one of the songs was Lady Marmalade. Um, The uh, CBS France people heard it first, and they the record actually broke there first before America.
0: Oh, interesting. Yes.
2: And they thought that was a
1: smash hit, right?
2: Yes, it was an international hit. It went. I have gold records from all over the world. Brussels. I mean, each country I have a gold record for. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, was that
1: a all, all inspiring because all of a sudden you were bigger than big. You were huge. Did, did that change your life?
2: Absolutely. It it did indeed Alan Toussaint's production of the Nightbird album changed our lives tremendously. Nona was writing songs, and she um, she was a, a, a pivotal point in our um, the music we sang, and her life certainly changed as well as Patty's and mine. And um, we had um, uh, our own uh, uh, publishing company. We became businesswomen. We uh, had our own production company. Uh, we controlled the way we um, recorded in terms of the business aspect of it. So, yes, it changed our lives. And, um, you know, all, all, you know, within 16 years.
1: <laughs> well, yes. eventually you went off on your own and did a yes. tour with Keith Richards. What was that like?
2: Yes. Um, working with Keith Richards is one of the highlights, a high points in my life. Um, because that soon led me to record also with the Rolling Stones. Now, Patti LaBelle and Bluebell did the Rolling Stones' first American and Canadian tour. Uh, A lot of people don't know that. We toured with them. And um, working with Keith, um, I learned another way. uh, I was taught by E. Hammond, his producer, Steve Jordan, how to approach songs in a different way and how to use uh, a different part of my uh, vocal ability that I didn't realize that I had. So that was a growing point for me. Uh, we did three world tours as Keith Richards and the Expensive Winos. Um, yes. I sang on uh, uh, those were That was the name solo. of his group? That, that's what we were called. I called myself a winoette.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Keith Richardson, cool. the expensive winos. They got that name um, because uh, Keith and his wife had to go somewhere. I wasn't there when this happened. but And he said, oh, I got a wine cellar. You know, you guys can go down there telling the rest of the band members, drink what you want. He came back. They'd open his Rothschilds. <laughs> So that's how they were called, Keith Richards and the Expensive Winos. As you know, Rothschild wine is one of the top, you know. <laughs>
1: so, well, you did a song, and I want to play that, called Sinner C- Man. Sinner Man,
2: yes. Sinner Man was the uh, – do you want, you want to play it now, and we
1: can talk about it afterwards?
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, please. Okay.
2: okay.
1: Here we go. Sarah and. Come in. About Man how that came about
2: um, I was now um uh the group was split up. We were all going off on our solo careers um i uh we all were given an opportunity in our own right to present ourselves as solo artists, of course, Patty had no trouble. Nona being a writer had an opportunity. I was given a project to work with uh, a famous songwriter and uh but I didn't have the training as a solo singer. Uh there's a difference in being a background singer and being a solo artist. And it's more pressure. Uh well, it's a learning process for it was a learning process for me. Um I um my project or my demos didn't work too well. I had no I didn't understand tone as a solo artist. I didn't understand how to take the to go forth with um, you know, the lead voice. And that surprises a lot of people when I tell them that because if you hear me in the background of La Belle, I'm singing all around Patty. I love the support of giving the harmonies in and out and in between. Had the tonal qualities. I could hear very well. I have great hearing when it comes to music and chord structure. um, What I have the ability to pick out songs, to kind of, I always knew what would work with LaBelle. Uh, Sometimes, you know, Nona would be writing a song. I said, you know, uh, no, this is not going to work. I said, this will work. I mean, we need to try it. And it always worked. So, uh, along comes uh, uh, well, Don Kirschner and his wife were friends of mine, and we was they would take me to baseball games with them. I feel so important. I'd be right there at first base, you know, sitting in the clubhouses and what have you. And one day he said to me, when we were at a game. He said, "Are you signed yet?" And I said, "No." He said, "I wonder why." So he said uh, he called me a couple days later. He and Sheila, and said, "We're taking you to dinner," and they were like. He said, I want to sign you. And I'm going, really? really? And he said, yes. Don Kirshner's training for for Sarah, for me, was the best time that, the best thing that could happen to me. He did not throw me into the studio in two weeks. He had the best songwriters ever. And in the meantime, he said, "You know, do the cabaret things that you're going to do. No, you're not going to do tours. But they had me in the rehearsal rooms five days a week, learning new songs, learning different ways to approach different styles of songs. I did that three to three to five times a week. I would walk. I I'd, I'd started walking. I would walk to and back of to and forth from the studios." Um, they would send me home with tapes and tracks of different songs, and they helped me find my vocal, my lead vocal voice and it developed from there uh, so i 'm playing this one place one night, and the singer the writers we had picked out most of the songs for my first solo album, as they were called then, which is c d now and but we did not have this one thing yet we still were looking for it uh, we hadn't recorded yet but we had the list and it was growing but we did not have this so Carol George and and um, Rod came down to see me and they said they saw this little woman going across the stage because I love singing who's touching me now you know it was, I had this song that I really loved doing and um, they saw me going across the stage and they were like, wow, she's like so little, but she's sensual. This is what they told me. And they said, it's like Center Man. I see her Center Man chasing her. And they went home, wrote the song, called me into wow. the rehearsal studio and said, This is Center Man. I'm like, wow, this is a great song. It was the first song I recorded on my solo album, and I sang it in one take.
1: And it became That's, a hit.
2: It became an international hit. It became, a, and when I say international, it went all the way around the world. I was the first one in the group, although I was the last one recording, but I was the first one in our solo careers to have an international hit and i went all over the world with center man i went everywhere i did discos at the time you know the clubs were hot i was performing at two in the morning doing wonderful things and center man actually broke 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 open my uh broke my solo career it really did open the doors and the type of songs that i was doing on that cd were just so wonderful wonderful songs but I give all of that credit to Don Kirshner and his writing team who really helped me find that solo voice, that way to present. And, of course, it was raw and it developed, you know, it's still developing, you know, because each time I do something new, I work on a new project, I learn a new found way of expressing myself vocally. And I find that so Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said I find it exciting.
1: And I want to ask you. You had a very exciting friendship with Aretha Franklin. Tell me about your friendship with her.
2: Aretha, I met many years ago. Aretha's father, Reverend C. L. Franklin, you know, pastor, going around to churches and singing and. I, my, I'm a PK preacher's kid as well. My father was oh. the late elder Abraham Dash, who was the father of the state and under Bishop Bonner Refuge Temple in New York, you know, Kojic. And we um, would go to different churches to sing. My father would oftentimes take me to sing with the youth choir, and Aretha was singing at a church. Uh, with her father, it was, I I don't, I can't remember whether it was a convention, but I peered across the room at Aretha, she was young, I was young as well, Um, and we kind of, you know, kids are kind of shy when, you know, this is Elder Dash's kids, this is Reverend Franklin's kids, you know, so it's like, Someone sent me a joke the other day. They said, yeah, the pastor kids walk around like they're the celebrities of the church, like they went to mm-hmm. Jerusalem High. <laughs> I found that so funny. Awesome. But um, And then I met her on another occasion, was at uh, a party, and we were always cordial. Well, uh, about five, six years ago, we ran into each other. I was with um, my student and, and her mother, we went. We decided that after I was working, I, I do vocal training as well and um, uh-huh. so my student and her mother decided that for my birthday we're going to, um, to celebrate Christmas with them and we're going to go to the plaza in New York for high tea you know high tea is like the little finger sandwiches and all that
0: mm-hmm. and I'm sitting
2: there talking and my student said, is that Patty LaBelle? And I looked over. I said, no, that's Aretha. And Aretha was walking toward me. We both sort of went, and we just had the best time that afternoon It just coming together and chatting. And um, I went back to my table. She sat down with her people, and uh, we were finishing, started to finish up our, our, our uh, lunch. And I went over to Aretha, and I had, you know, I had, sat down she said sit down chat with me she said so you're coming to my party aren't you and I'm going you're having a party my birthday party I'd heard about the famous Ritz in New York parties that Aretha had and I felt so honored and we sort of communicated through Facebook and she took my number I was invited to her parties and and, and I remember the last party that she had and at the Ritz and you know, we—I didn't know at the time that she wasn't well, and she would send me pictures where she'd be shopping in the store. She'd say, "Do you like these shoes?" You know, all on Facebook, and I started inboxing her because it got too busy with other people trying to get into my talking to Aretha. Uh, some people can't—they—I don't know why it is, but oh, she's friends with Aretha, everyone in the music industry may not be close friends but we're all in this fellowship together. So I look at each individual friendship that I have I treasure those moments with other artists and you know, and I don't allow people to talk about my friends and vice versa. I expect the same from them. So Aretha and I had a wonderful uh, coming back together Relationship sparse, but still the respect—the level of respect was there.
1: And well, the, the concerts we, you're giving on uh, Saturday the third, and is it Monday the fifth, and Tuesday the sixth are is a tribute to her, where you're singing her songs. Is that correct? That is correct.
2: Yes, I um. I decided, along with Team Dash and an agent that we have, um, a representative, that um, I was invited to Aretha's funeral by her family. Um, They invited me to come personally, come to her funeral. And I thought about all of the work that she had done. And my agent... There are some pictures, and there's some, you know, the clubs are interested, these clubs are interested in you doing a tribute. And at first I thought, should I do this? And then, you know, having discussed it over, you know, with my team and a very few, a couple of close, very close friends, they said, you know, Sarah, you had a lot of respect for her, you admired her work, she has a mountain of work a Bible of work that, you know, you always loved her voice. You both come from the church. You both had fathers who were pastors. Do Aretha, but don't emulate Aretha. Sing your tribute through the voice and the spirit of your soul. That's how you can do a tribute to her. And I thought about it, and then I saw Purdy, Pretty Purdy, who was her drummer, he was also at the funeral. And we exchanged numbers, and one of my friends, um, Barbara Harris, said, Sarah, you know, in doing this tribute, you know, a Purdy would be really good person to help you pull this together. And Purdy said yes, and he put together the band. He helped me select the songs. He's the M-Day for the these tributes and that's how this evolved and i feel really i'm going to be doing some of my own music i feel that if people want to see how i felt feel about aretha and what her music means to me not meant means to me and the respect that i and the love that i have for her talent you know, this is the best place to come and see it well, was if I want to
1: move on to to another subject, if you don't mind And you know, that is your work with the homeless People don't, yes. I don't know if people know about that Yes,
2: I've worked with homeless women with children Um, There were, you know, there are always women who are homeless with children and they seemed to uh, were, at the time, a forgotten, a forgotten people. You know, women are, I mean, mothers of the earth. There's no question we're the ones who bring forth life. And Definitely. I, I, um, my attorney at the time was on the board of this organization, and they, they um, asked me to join the board, and I said yes, but when I got to the meetings, I saw a need that had not been uh, exercised within this organization called La Candelaria. They were a Spanish organization that was diverse. They um, helped homeless um, women of all cultures, you know, white, black, Spanish and I saw one day that she had these uh, this place, and they needed to have more food for the women they were that were there. So I decided that I was going to go in my neighborhood and ask the manager of grocery store if he had any ex- excess, uh, you know extra food that was there. And I came back and I said to the the woman who was running, the the director of the um, organization, I said I hope you don't mind that I did this. And she said Sarita, if, you know the Spanish little Sarah she said why not come off the board and work with me and getting these women clothes and shoes for the kids and you know and that's what I did I started fundraising for them mm. and the the mayor's uh, the mayor gave me a citation for the city of New York City for the work that I did in East Harlem and at the time it was not one of the friendliest places to be but I went into that community I went to the police department, and I got the captain to walk around in his regalia to talk to all the people in the neighborhood. And they were like, who is this woman? <laughs> so, wow. I, I, and I'm now the spokesperson, because I'm in New Jersey, I'm the spokesperson for an organization called Mercer Street Friends. And it's the organization is called, the arm of the organization that I'm working with is called Shop. You know, um, it's that part of their arm provides food for children, uh, homeless or not, for the weekend. Oh. And, you know, because during the week they have food in the you know, they have lunches, they provide free lunches and breakfast. But when the children go home on the weekend, you know, they have they're not in school, they're hungry. Malnutrition can easily take, you know, come upon their little bodies, and there is no one to look out for them having meals. So there is a list of um, there are twelve hundred families that we feed, and I, I again, I'm the spokesperson for Shop, and uh, that is like shutting out hunger for young people, and. Uh, we make sure that they go home with bags of food, enough for them to have, you know, decent meals from Friday to Sunday, you know, to Monday morning when they're back in school and receiving their free breakfasts. They're given fruit, uh, peanut butter, bread, and these bags and baskets are filled every week. They start putting them together on Thursday, and they – um start delivering them to families and schools. There are various schools around the city of Trenton that uh, honor, oh boy, somebody just went by with a big car, um, that honor um, the, um, the, the, they they welcome the feeding program. And so I've been the spokesperson now for a year and I go to the different functions and to help raise money to provide food for um, the Mercer Street friends.
1: Well, so that's, we're getting yes. close to the end of, of the show,
0: and okay. I could
1: talk to you forever. There's so much interesting stuff to talk about, but yes, I can't too. because we're at the end.
0: Yes. And, but
1: I want to ask you, is there anything I haven't mentioned, uh, anything upcoming besides the three dates in November uh, Well,
2: I that you want to address? I would like to let everyone who's listening today know that I am also... Trenton's uh, first music and arts ambassador for the city of Trenton, actually for the capital area. Um, I am also a member of the Grammys. I've been on the board of governors for many years. I'm the dean for the Grammy advocacy district day where we go and we meet with our representatives to, um, Talk about the concerns of many of the artists that we have, our royalty situations, our intellectual rights. I'm also a trustee for the newly formed Capitol, New Jersey Capitol Philharmonic Orchestra. We started,
0: we oh, bought art. Nice. Our-
2: back to the city of Trenton. We had Trenton Symphony before, but because of bad management and, you know, people lost interest. Well, we bought the Philharmonic Orchestra back. We have a lovely maestro by the name of Dan Spaulding. So I sit on the, the board of that. We have great advice on our advisory boards. We have uh, a Reverend um, Armstrong. We have a former mayor by the name of Doug Palmer. He's, uh, so, you know, we... Are coming together developing the music and arts in the city because that is one way of bringing the community together. I had the experience, wonderful experience, being a part of the AMP, um, the Levitt series this summer. And because of the bad, they had a bad shooting here, I decided to go and get all the talent that was interested, uh, that I found interesting, to. Uh, instead of just doing my concert alone, I had, I had a folk singer, I had a rapper, I had an R&B singer, I had gospel, and we had um, all together, we had Spanish uh, singers, um, and we came together and we gave what we call lift Trenching together. Our new newly elected mayor by the name of Riga Ciaro, he came to me and he said, Sarah, you're doing your concert Let's call it, we lift Trenton together, using the same slogan that he used in his election during mm-hmm. his candidacy. So I'm I'm becoming a very, I, I'm just really, um, what you would say, um, I, I'm community oriented. You know, my niece has a school here, it's a music and art school called Sprout U. I'm involved with that that her school as well training the young children there how to sing and you know with that they have dance troops and um, they're um, I'm just involved in the city um, because this is where I was born I happen to come back here I'm having a wonderful time I don't get to go to a lot of the um, events that take place because I'm either rehearsing or on the road but, you know, I would say to our listening audience, there's so many things that I want to achieve. And one of them is to bring forth my memoirs, um, to record another CD, um, uh, to um, become more spiritually bounded to people and to God. I'm a, I do believe in God. I'm, I'm a believer, and I do know that prayer changes things. And while I'm talking about about prayer, um, my friend, very good friend, she told me I could discuss this if I wanted to. Candy Staten now has breast cancer, and I'm looking for everyone to pray for her, that she will be healed.
1: Do you ever use silent uh, unity?
2: Yes, I'm a member of
1: unity. Um, No, no, silent silent, silent unity that prays for people 24-7. For thirty days.
2: Um, I know about them. I certainly will do that. I will put her in the
1: prayer circle. Well, and I, I gotta it. close the show now, and and uh, we'll remember to please pray for for Miss Stanton. Yes. And, uh, and pray- I thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you. And I have uh, to tell you, I come from a family. My mother's side of the family. Or Shuler's as well So we have to at some point discuss that
1: Yes Well if you leave me
2: a ticket I'll come to your show Oh yes Uh, I I will definitely um, Carolyn oh, Isn't Carolyn the best Carolyn McLeod she is the best Um, I will make sure that we have All of your information And we will get you um, A comp for the show
1: Okay Thank you so much I appreciate that it sounds like oh, a great concert. We're going to have a lot of fun in you're New going to York. Hear me. Well, you're going to do Washington and New Jersey. So I want to, make, you know, I brought that up in the top of the show that you're not just doing New York, you're doing uh, Jersey on yes. the 3rd, correct? Yes. You're doing Jersey on the 3rd. For tickets for that, you can call 609 288 6491, and that's 8 o'clock. And for. Um, Washington, Washington, you're doing the winery, yes. and that number is 250-2531 for tickets, and Tuesday, the 6th of November, you're in New York at 155 Varick Street yes. the city winery, and people, yes, for tickets, you can call 212 608 six zero eight oh five five five.
2: Okay, it will be the Loft at the City Winery. So I want everyone to know it's the Loft at the City Winery. It's the top floor of the winery. Oh, okay. which is Thank really you for saying that. And, and very cozy. It's very cozy. It's called the Loft at City Winery. It's, really, it's where the City Winery is, but it's the upstairs floor, which is really, really nice, intimate and nice.
1: Well thank you Sarah for coming on the show And as everyone knows I'm your host Deirdre Schuler. This is the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Soul And I want My listeners to I thank my listeners actually for making my Topic, topic for yours And we're going to end the show Playing Lady Marmalade
0: Yes You'll get Here. to hear it Here we go hey, 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 hey. And this is live.
1: been listening to the Blake Radio Network Rainbow Souls.